Today on the Zabecast, Black Friday isn't technically until the end of the week. So why, why did we get Black Sunday? I will try to plot a course forward for the Redskins in the wake of the Alex Smith broken leg. But I warn you, I have no magic solutions. I've got uniform geekery, Harvard jackassery, and why I refuse to pay for Tiger versus Phil. Your essential Sports Talk Day starter is locked and loaded. So buckle up and let's go. <laughs> Here we go. Monday, November 19, 2018. Thank you for downloading. 33 years and exactly one day later, we are here from a date that lives in Redskins fan infamy. Joe Theismann on a Monday night game on November 18, two th- or 1985, broke his leg on a tackle on a sack by Lawrence Taylor of the New York Giants. It occurred not just on the exact same date that Alex Smith broke his leg at a home game in Washington, but it happened almost at the same yard line, the 40-yard line. And the 40-yard line, at least from a television perspective, the left 40-yard line. I'm not going to get into the whole orientation of RFK versus FedEx and was it the north or south or east or west doesn't matter but from a television perspective and this has been floating around Twitter it's almost the exact same yard line why what did we do to deserve this oh I know what you're gonna say Dan Snyder deserves it yeah but what do we as fans what do we do to deserve this and I know that you're gonna say well injuries happen, Zabe. Deshaun Watson, the quarterback you were playing against, blew out three knee ligaments, and that might have been a worse injury than what Alex Smith suffered in terms of comeback, mobility, and rehab and everything else. We don't know at this time, by the way, as I record this near midnight on Sunday night, we don't know how serious and how bad the injury was. We'll get a full report, I'm sure, post-op. But it's bad. I mean, this is this is bad. Joe Theismann never played again. Of course, medical uh, advancements were a lot not were a lot, are a lot better now than they were then. Joe, in fact, who was at the game, which I think he's at every home game anyway, but he was there for the Redskins' homecoming, which is a term I don't really like per se, but whatever. He was there, and he was on the post game show on Comcast Sportsnet. Oop. NBC Sports Washington. And he said that when he was when he was being wheeled into the OR, his leg was flopping off the side of the gurney. And he had to ask one of the orderlies or the nurses to, hey, could you please pick up my leg? He said he couldn't feel anything, but that the broken part of his leg was flopping off the gurney. He never played again. He wanted to. He had a, about a $1.4 million insurance policy against such an injury. He decided to take it. He, too, was in his 30s. He was not very good, by the way, uh, when he finally went down. I was at the game. And I know it sounds like a, uh, you know, a, a typical fan brag. I was at that game. I was at that game. I was sitting underneath the This Bud Is For You end zone sign. I was there on behest of my 
I was I was there as a guest of my buddy Jerry Verkler from Langley High School. Great guy. Lives in Tahoe now with his beautiful wife. Living the California life. Shout out to Jerry Verkler. What's up? Anyone know him? Somebody out there probably knows him. Email me. So Verkler had tickets. This, of course, was back when getting tickets was hard to come by. You went to a Redskin game and you're like, oh, wow, I'm going to the game. Nowadays, players are giving away tickets to the first 50 tweeters. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. We're not in 1985. So I'm at the game, and I'm underneath the This Bud's For You sign in the far end zone from where Theismann went down. It was on a flea flicker, of course. Uh, A slow-developing play that often ends in disaster. But is a fun play if you're playing Sandlot football or side-yard football. We ran that play all the time. And we couldn't tell. Like, when he went down, we couldn't tell. This is 1985. We're in the far end zone. There was one dude with a Sony Watchman television. You remember those? It, you know, it was a, a black and white screen, probably no bigger than five or six inches diagonal. The actual um, the television was shaped and sized like a loaf of bread. You had to get over-the-air reception on a single antenna and hold it just right. We were all in the section sort of craning our heads like looking down like, what's going on here? There was no jumbotron in the stadium. So we didn't know how bad Theismann's injury was until we got done after the game. Of course, uh, Jay Schrader comes in and immediately throws a bomb either for a touchdown or something close. He was coming our way. I Forget exactly. I'm a bad Redskin fan for not knowing exactly what play it was. But I remember at the time, I was like, thank God, Deisman's been killing us. He was having a terrible season. And that's a point I'd like to bring up at this juncture because there's going to be a lot of talk about Alex and the injury and where to go from here. And I'm going to try to plot a course for the Redskins, although I have no miracles in store. And we'll talk about the game. We'll talk about the referees. But... The number to remember prior to Alex suffering that awful injury, and everybody feels terrible for him. He's A-plus guy, uh, absolutely dedicated. I believe he'll come back and, and resume his career. How good he will be, we'll discuss that. But here's the thing to remember. Alex Smith, 12 of 27, with a 101-yard pick six. Might not have been his fault. Might have been Jordan Reed's. And another very bad interception that almost cost the Redskins dearly, but thank God Bill O'Brien is a play-calling idiot. And Kaimi Fairbairn is like a bunch of kickers in the league right now. I don't know why so many kickers suck in the NFL right now. It's seemingly an epidemic. I have to go check the kicking numbers. The footballs don't seem to be flying nearly as straight as they once did. Maybe they've done more to mess up the K-ball so it's harder to kick straight. That said... Alex Smith was terrible before he got hurt. And I know it's impolite as he sits recovering in a hospital room as we speak to point this out, but I have to point that out. So where do the Redskins go from here? First of all, they're still in first place, and they've got a massive game on Thanksgiving that I think will essentially, if the Redskins win it, it almost clinches the division. I know. Please don't gasp like, what are you doing? You're jinxing us. I'll run through it in just a second. 
If the Cowboys win, then we're going to have a horse race down to the wire. What have I said about this division all along? It's a pillow fight to nine wins. Well, it's a pillow fight, and we just dropped our pillow. We do not have a pillow right now. Hopefully, we can pick up that pillow in Colt McCoy and keep swinging. Um, The Giants don't even have a pillow. And I believe the Eagles pillow is just their pillow case at this point, And they're just kind of flapping that around, which can catch you in the eye. You know, if you ever have a pillow fight, ow, God, he got me in the eye. Who here, raise your hand, has been in a pillow fight as a kid where you caught the zipper of the pillowcase in the corner of the eye or somewhere else and then screamed and cried and called mommy and said, mommy, and then like try to get your brother in trouble. Ooh, ooh, that'd be me. Pillow fight to nine wins. And here's how I think it's going to possibly play out. First of all, the Redskins win on Thursday in Dallas with Colt McCoy, which, by the way, they have done on Thanksgiving Day with Colt McCoy three years ago. Three? 2015? Something like that. It has been done. It can be done. Colt does some things better than Alex. Some things in a short window of opportunity. I, for one, am not what I call a Colt dolt. I'm a Kirk jerk, but that's a different story. I'm not a Colt dolt. There are, there are Colt dolts in our fan base that listen to my show and others and call up the radio shows in D.C. that insist Colt McCoy will be just fine, that he would have been just as good as Kirk Cousins over 16 games, would have been just as good as Alex Smith over 16 games, that Colt is the answer. I am not one of those guys. I am not a Colt adult. Colt McCoy, if if I'm right, I believe Colt McCoy, when applied over a 16-week run of games, will show you exactly how and why he is not a starter. He also is not going to probably stay healthy in that time. He has had several concussions. He's not very many far away from probably having to decide upon a career outside of football, but he's a good, smart, heady player Average arm to maybe average minus arm. Good runner, deceptive runner. Will scramble around and get you yardage. But other than that, he's just he's not that good, people. Not over 16 games. Can he win a game on Thursday in Dallas? Sure. In fact, we have almost the perfect situation to win one game on short notice with a backup quarterback. Thank God they paid Colt McCoy $7 million or something like that to be on the roster. He can win this game on Thursday in Dallas. Am I going to bet on it and count on it? No, I, I'm i not. I think the Cowboys have some mojo going right now. Their defense is really starting to gel. Leighton Vander Esch had another pick. Zeke is being fed. Dak is not killing him too bad. They got guys making plays. They are going to be hell to beat on Thursday. I think they're, they're, they are going to be focused and tuned up on, hey, let's win this game and have a fight to the finish. So if the Cowboys win, they go to 6-5. and five, The Redskins fall to 6-5. and five, And here are the games remaining after this tilt on Thursday. Cowboys host New Orleans. Good. Let's chalk that as loss. They host Philadelphia after that. I'm going to call that a win. They're at Indianapolis, which at one point looked like a little bit of a soft spot. Now, looking like a really tough spot. Loss. Host Tampa Bay, Dallas does in week 16. I'll give that a win. And then they are at the Giants in week 17. 
which could be very interesting depending on how motivated and checked in the Giants are by that time of the year. They're on a two-game bender right now with a close win over the Niners and a close win over the Buccaneers. I don't know what the Giants are going to look like at the end of the year. The Redskins, meanwhile, if they were to lose Thursday and be 6-5. and five. So I would project the Cowboys as being a two-and-a-half win team over the final five games. What do you mean two and a half wins? Because I can't decide. I think there's two wins for sure in there. Probably Philly and Tampa at home. Two lo- One loss for sure, that's New Orleans at home. A loss at Indianapolis likely. And the Giants game could go either way. So that's my two and a half right there. So if the Cowboys win to go six and five, then they finish at eight and a half wins, or eight with one game going either way. The Redskins, meanwhile, if they fall on Thursday and go six and five, are at Philadelphia. And I don't think any game for the Redskins is necessarily going to be easy with Colt McCoy and with perhaps more injuries to come. I hate to say that because, Jesus, our whole team is out, basically. Geis went out before the season. You got Richardson out for the year. You've got Trent, who's coming back Thursday, possibly. Laval out for the season. you got Sheriff out for the season. You've got Crowder and Thompson, who have been out for a huge chunk. I don't know when they're coming back, if ever. So that's like half the offense right there. Half the offense? more. And Alex is out. So I would say easily more than half of the offense has been decimated, gone. Defense is still relatively intact, and thank God for that. There could and may well be more injuries to come. In fact, count on it. It's the NFL. The injuries are not going to stop. And God forbid Peterson goes snap because then we're really done. But here we go. Redskins at Philadelphia. I can't decide on that one. Giants at home, that's a win. At Jacksonville, could go either way. At Tennessee, same thing, could go either way. Philly at home, the Redskins have in Week 17. I'm going to give that a win. So I got the Redskins with two wins and three games that could go either way. So that's so that's two so that's two uh they're still looking pretty good all things considered even though they have three road games compared to Dallas's two road games. Slightly tougher schedule. But here's the big but. If the Redskins win on Thursday, the division is virtually Don't say it, Zabe. Don't say what? The division is virtually... I told you, shut your mouth. The division is virtually on ice. Boom, I said it. Here's why. Redskins go to 7-4 with a win. Dallas falls to 5-6. Redskins have the stone-cold, absolute, head-to-head tiebreaker over Dallas by virtue of beating them twice. Dallas can only win the division if they get to 10, period. The Redskins at 7-4 and four, with five games left will they'll win two games. They don't suck. They don't have an unwinnable schedule on the way from here on out. I believe if the Redskins win Thursday, they find two damn wins between at Philly, home to the Giants, at Jacksonville, at Tennessee, home to Philadelphia again in Week 17, in which who knows? 
how shut down the Eagles could be at that point. They have been completely eradicated in the secondary. It's ridiculous. Two more injuries for them against the Saints. That division is on ice. The Cowboys, if they were to lose to go to five and six, they have to win all five. They have to win all five to get to ten. This is the Redskins would have the division in a flat-out chokehold. Unless, of course, it's an 8-8 eight and eight division this year, which it could be. The Redskins could win one game to go to 7-4 and four, and then go 1-4 and four the rest of the way. I'd hate to see it. I don't believe it, but there you go. All right, let's talk about the future going forward with Alex Smith. It's not good. Oh, new, new, new. There is some question, and I guess we'll find out more about this in the coming days here, about how much of Alex Smith's contract is, quote, guaranteed for injury. Someone, I believe Albert Breer, threw around the number $71 million guaranteed for injury. I don't know what that means. I don't know how that works. I don't know what the procedures are. We're going to find out during the course of the week here. My basic understanding is that, okay, you have to rehab if you're a football player under contract like this, uh, under the supervision and guide of the team's doctors and also their training staff. You have to make a bona fide attempt to come back and play football. Once you have gone through a reasonable amount of of rehab time, which could be up to a year, maybe a little bit more, and if you still can't do basic football things because of your injury – then I believe you would be eligible at that point to claim, yeah, I can't play anymore, so nook, nook, where's my money? Now, how that would work against the Redskins' salary cap, I have no idea. It's never really happened in the NFL where a player with a big contract has been injured so badly that he literally couldn't play football again. But eventually it's going to happen. Now, I, I don't think this is going to be the case here. I think he's going to come back. Uh, Dr. David Chow, Dr. Chow, uh, had a good I, – I use that voice, by the way, because that was Mr. Chow in the movie The Hangover. Um, so let's all just settle down. Dr. David Chow is a great follow, writes for the San Diego Union-Tribune. He, uh, he wrote a fairly – positive outlook for Alex Smith. Of course, he's not the doctor. He didn't operate on him. He doesn't know what's really wrong, but he's pretty good. He said he should be able to come back from this injury. So I don't think the Redskins are going to be able to get any great cap relief. I don't think they're going to be able to exit the Alex Smith business anytime soon. So with that as the premise that we are not out of the Alex Smith business, we can't be out of the Alex Smith business, forget whether or not you want to be or not, Let's go forward then. Let's say it's a fairly standard double broken leg with some ankle issues, which does make it worse. And he goes through rehab, great doctor, great result, blah, blah, blah. He's ready for training camp in August. Okay, great. I'm going to bet that he comes back to training camp, even under the most optimistic of circumstances, diminished in his athletic capacities as a runner, and as a mover, by about 10%. Where do you get that 10% number? Where I get all my numbers. Zay metrics. Out of my ass. <laughs> Let's say he's diminished by 10% running the ball, which is one of his big positive qualities. That's bad, obviously. 
it scrubbed speed off of him. We saw with another mobile quarterback what happened after he had some speed scrubbed off of him. Nothing added up. <clears throat> RG3. Of course, RG3 had a lot of other things that were working against him, and he was his own worst enemy, so let's not make that comparison. But the bottom line is, Alex Smith this year, remember, 12 for 27, two bad picks, was not lighting the world on fire. He was just not losing games for the Redskins. And you can say, look at all the injuries, look at the lack of weapons, give it time, systems, got to get used to Jay Gruden, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Alex Smith was not living up to what we had hoped. Let's be perfectly honest. So... What are the chances with another year of age with this injury and the time needed to be spent you know, rehabbing and coming back and with the time missed in Jay's offense, in his system, playing games, getting used to his receivers, which is time you can't get back in a football career that is finite and ends at some point. The chances of Alex Smith coming back and being better next year than he was this year? Huh. 1% chance? So we're going to have a diminished Alex Smith next year in some capacity. A diminished Alex Smith who was not exactly wowing people this year. That's bad. Also, Alex Smith is going to start getting more expensive next year because this was the cheapest year, if you look at his contract on SpotRack, the cheapest year that we were going to have of Alex Smith. Then once the season begins next year, If Alex Smith is really struggling, if that leg doesn't look quite right, if he's being a gamer about it and he's working through it and he's in pain to some degree and he's not quite the same, you know, how long do you stick with him? Well, you have to because what do you have as an option? Yeah, you can keep Colt. I think Colt would want to be here. But with every wobble in Alex Smith's play next year, the temptation for Jay to go back to the Colt wagon, assuming he plays pretty well down the stretch here this year, and let's say even takes the Redskins to the playoffs, the temptation to get into the Colt business next year as soon as Alex Smith starts to suck a little bit is going to be significant. And I don't know if there's any other way around this immediate future for the next 12 months for the Redskins. I think Alex Smith is going to have to be QB1, barring any setbacks in his comeback, starting next year. Now, what about running back one? Well, what is Adrian Peterson going to be like down the stretch here? Is he going to be as dynamic as he's been so far? He still, by the way, is awesome at the point of attack jump cut. That touchdown to put the Redskins ahead was fantastic. Just a hard press it up into the hole, stop on a dime, jump left, burst to the end zone, and walk on in. My God, that is amazing at his age. But what's he going to look like down the stretch here? How is he going to hold up? God forbid he doesn't get hurt. How big a contract is he going to want? How many years? How much money? What kind of cap space are we going to have? How do you feel about Darius Geis, who's supposedly coming back from his knee injury? Hopefully going to be fine. Hopefully going to be as dynamic as we thought he would be coming out of LSU. The running back situation is muddy, to say the least. Then, wide receiver one. What are we going to do with Josh Doxson? We just got to keep waiting and waiting and waiting for the 18 bus to start doing some amazing things. You know, Traquan Smith for the Saints made several phenomenal catches in that game. 
He's a third-round pick. DJ Moore is making phenomenal plays right away in his first year in Carolina. Late first-round pick. I think late first-round pick. Hold on a second. Let me look that up here just to be safe here. Because God forbid I make us a, a mistake in a podcast. DJ Moore drafted. See, someone's going to go crazy on me saying, you're no better than Mike Francesa, 24th overall pick. There, that wasn't that bad, was it? Should have known that, should have prepped it before the show. Josh Doxson does not make dynamic plays. Everybody knows this. In fact, I keep saying I can't differentiate between Josh Doxson and Maurice Harris. Uh, They look like the same guy to me. And Mo Harris was a seventh rounder, Doxson a first. So what do we do at wide receiver one? Clearly, even if Crowder comes back eventually and is healthy, he's not really a wide receiver one as a slot guy. I don't think Richardson's ever going to be, and he's probably going to be injured on and off most of his career. Nice kid. A little bit of a dubious purchase at wide receiver. So we need a, a WR1. I mean, we've got huge questions offensively, and I just don't know what the path forward is. And what's also unfortunate is that we don't have any young bucks that we are moving along and developing in the system. We don't even have a backup right now. They're going to bring guys in tomorrow morning and start looking at them. One of the guys they're going to bring in is Mark Sanchez. Another guy could be Sam Bradford without his cartilage in his knee. And while those sound horrifying, look, what do you want? You know, we had Kevin Hogan in here, and then we ended up leaving him exposed, and he goes to Denver, so he's out. We had Nate Sudfeld here as a young, developing guy. He got picked up by the Eagles. So we got nothing in the pipeline. And there's going to be a a real temptation to try to go get a quarterback to put into the pipeline, even though we're going to have to be in the Alex Smith business going forward. But where... What asset are we going to use? Are we going to take a flyer on a second-round QB, third-round QB? Do you know what the low percentage hit rate on that is? Next year's QB draft is not that great, say the pundits right now. There's a few guys, obviously, that are starting to turn heads and tickle people's groin area when it comes to quarterback play. But it's early. Guys don't fall in love with certain players until you get to the combine, you get to the winter, and then you start... They start talking themselves into guys like, no, this guy's really the guy. So maybe some of these guys that are being talked about now in college will be the guy. It's not the Tua draft, and Tua is going to have a bunch of teams gunning for him. Tanking like mofos in 2019. Tank for Tua. So I don't know where the Redskins go from here, but we've got a season on our hands, and we have a chance to win the division and have a home game. Even if Mark Sanchez is starting with Capri Pibbs, why are you laughing? I'm laughing because I don't want to cry. We have a chance, if God forbid, let's just say, at some, let's say the Redskins beat the Cowboys Thursday and then at some point before now in the end of the season, Colt goes down and Adrian Peterson goes down, but the Redskins have already run their win total up to nine wins. Dallas can't match us. We've won the pillow fight to nine. And we roll out for a home playoff game. Mark Sanchez and Capri Bibbs as our one-two. Well, maybe P. Ryan. P. Ryan might be back healthy again. Boy, wouldn't that be exciting? Sure would. Hey, it's a playoff game. We'll take it, right? We'll take whatever we can get and we'll deal with next year when it comes.
Hail the Redskins. Huge game coming on Thursday. All right, let's talk about the referees for a second. A lot of people very upset that there was no pass interference called on the Josh Doxson play. Uh, I think the second-to-last play, deep ball down the left side. Two Texans players converged on it. Safety came over the top, almost made an interception. Pretty much plowed through Doxson. 25 for the Texans went and kind of bumped into him and grabbed his arms as he was going for it. People upset about the not the pass interfer- or the holding call on Josh Norman. That led to another set of downs for the Texans. Did take time off the clock. However, the Redskins were still in a very strong position, I thought, to win the game, even with no timeouts. As they had the ball at the 30, their own 35, and they only had to get to the other team's 35, the Texans' 35, so that's 30 yards. 30 yards, even with no timeouts, with about 50 seconds to go. That is not a huge lift. But the Redskins couldn't do it. Let's talk about the two penalties. The penalty on Norman was a terrible penalty. It was it was horseshit. It was away from the ball. It was very light incidental contact. It was a bad call. I kind of understand why the referee made the call, or at least the way the way I think he made the call, because there was a motion where Hopkins pushed off, extended his arm. And Norman, attempting to recover, reached his hands out, both of them, and appeared to be holding on to Hopkins' arm for a split second in a, in a little game of tug-of-war. That flashing image, that flashing moment of contact, was a bad visual for a referee that might think, oh, he's holding him. Also, you've got a lot, uh, you know, Hopkins draws a lot of penalties. I mentioned this in the broadcast. And so he's going to get a lot of penalties. And Josh Norman also holds quite a bit. That's Josh Norman's game. He's a very feisty, physical, in-your-face corner. Redskin fans remember the game in London where he got a ton of penalties. Not just holding penalties, but pass interference penalties, even, I think, a personal foul penalty. That's Norman's game. Norman is a, is a junkyard dog of a, of a corner. And he was overmatched to a certain degree against Hopkins. Hopkins does that to just about everybody. Norman is not a great man-to-man cover guy, but he was on Hopkins most of the game. So it's a bad visual, terrible call, hated it. Don't lose sight of this fact. It didn't cost the Redskins the game. They got the ball back anyway, thanks to the idiotic and cowardly play calling of good old Bill O'Brien. And then Kaimi Fairbairn, (laughs) who just kicked a duck, and missed it. You give me 50 seconds, even with no timeouts and only 30 yards to travel, to get into field goal position, I'll take it every day. The pass interference non-call on the Doxon play was a tough one. Could have been pass interference. Maybe should have been pass interference. For everyone screaming on my Twitter timeline, if that's not pass interference, I don't know what is. Hey, let's remind everybody at this point, nobody knows what the rules of the game are anymore. We don't know what a catch is. We don't want a legal sack anymore. We know nothing. We're like Sergeant Schultz. I know nothing. My experience, just my own perception, trying to be as logical and as even-keeled as possible as a fan, I see plays like that not get called P.I. all the time because... The safety was making an aggressive, heads-up play on the ball. 
and even though he went over the top of Doxson and came from behind, he made the best, most aggressive play on the ball, and I believe the principle is the defender has a right to the football, even if he kind of goes up and over a defensive player. In jump ball situations, that that pass kind of was. It lost steam as it traveled downfield. Usually, the way I see the NFL calling it, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying here's what I see called and not called. Whenever there is a collision, hand fighting, or whatever between a defender and a pass catcher, and there's a third guy in on defense, and he makes a strong, over-the-top, leaping play at the ball with his head up and makes a play at the ball, and the ball only does not attempt to grab the receiver or pin his arms or knock him out of position, no call. That's what I see watching the NFL week in, week out, three screens at a time, thank you very much. Doesn't mean I'm right. It just means I looked at that and said, you're not going to get that call. I also think that it's hard to get that call when the referees know in their head giving this call is essentially awarding the game to the Redskins because it's then a chip shot field goal. Should the referees think that way? No. They should call what they see, and they should call what the rules are, but the referees are human. Now, why did they not treat the Josh Norman penalty the same way on the other side? I don't know. Calls are inconsistent in the NFL. I'm not sure you knew that, but if you don't know it, write it down to remember it. The calls are inconsistent. They're often confusing. Sometimes they're complete horseshit. You never know. I just don't like the incessant carping about it, that's all, because I don't want to be the team and the fan base that complains about the referees, the fans that do or do not come to the game, and the injuries that accrue to our roster. There are three things you can't control. I hate, to me, those three things are loser talk. Ooh, the crowd's not loud. Oh, the refs hate us. Oh, my God, we're so injured. Loser, loser, loser. You can't control any of, the, any of them. And guess what? Just win the game. Win the games and everything else takes care of itself. Don't let it come down to a ref's bullshit call when it comes to trying to win the game. All right, quick thought on the Redskins homecoming uniforms, the alternate throwbacks, which are really faux backs, as in F-A-U-X backs. That logo, for those that don't know, that was on the shoulder, is a is a logo that's never appeared up until a couple years ago when they kind of created it as a mythical throwback logo, just like the pants and the color of the uniform, and the letters, and the numbers. I I think there's a couple other teams that do fake throwbacks, but this is one for the Redskins. Did I like the look? Overall, no. I don't like the look for one simple reason. The NFL's one helmet rule has completely boned all good throwback uniform days in the NFL. It's It really bothers me as a uniform nerd more than I can even elaborate on. And for those that don't care about the uniforms, you just don't get it and you'll be like, I don't why does this bother you so much? We have two great true throwbacks that we have gone to in the past. We could still be going to if the NFL wasn't so concerned about lawsuits and concussions. And that's by the way the NFL for those that don't know, the NFL six years ago, seven, eight, nine, something like that. When the concussion stuff started heating up, they decided that some 
neurologist or some equipment maker said, hey, uh, you know, it's not a good idea to be changing helmet shells during the season. That players do better when they've got one shell fitted for themselves that they keep all year long. Never mind the fact that college, these kids, these student athletes, they go through a dozen different shells in a single season. Oregon changes colors and, and finishes all day, every day. The NFL said, well, we want to we wanna do something cosmetic that may help us in court not lose a few more million dollars. So what the hell? We're just going to ban these. And then you know teams have to work around the throwbacks. They have to put new decals, but they can't change the shell color. And no, people have asked me, you know, I got a company that, I know a company that reskins all kinds of things. Driver heads, laptops, uh, baseball bats, tennis rackets, vans, lawnmowers. Why can't they reskin the helmets? They probably could reskin them, but it's tedious. Have you seen most? You know, the modern helmets now have all these vent holes and ridge holes. You know, you would have to apply that new color, and you'd have to exacto knife it. And you're talking fifty-three helmets, eh? And then. Once that throwback game is over, you got to take all that shit off and go back to the same color. Not worth it. I don't know why the Redskins, though, did not apply as the main logo sticker the faux back Indian head logo. They could have done that relatively easily. And teams like the Rams, who enjoy a blue helmet that can either have the white horn or the yellow horn, when they go with the white, they go with the white, and they go with the yellow when they want to go with the yellow. So they change their sticker. Why couldn't we change ours? I'll try to get an answer on that. It could be a case of they've got to receive league permission, and it's not officially sanctioned mark. Uh, who knows? But overall, the, the, the whole look, the whole concept falls apart because of the helmet. So I'm not a huge fan of it, but some people are. Hell, I have, I just bought the uh, New Era 3930 Flex Fit uh, cap, which is the dark mustard with the faux back Indian head logo on it. It's awesome. I, I love it, but it's a baseball cap. If they could make helmets with that same color helmet, the dark mustard and the faux back Indian head logo on the side, and you mate that up with the uniforms they had on yesterday. Oh, mwah! genius. Speaking of uniform geekery, this is classic. Mike Francesa was talking about how he hated Notre Dame's uniforms in the Yankee Stadium game, which uh, Notre Dame dominated Syracuse. By the way, Tim Murray was 3-2 and two this week, so not great. Another week, was he 3-2 and two or 2-3? Two and three? Um, Didn't do great. Had a couple games go against him. But his Irish are looking pretty strong. And they dominate Syracuse at Yankee Stadium. And Mike Francesa, and I'll play the clip here in just a second. Mike Francesa, he was bitching about the helmets not being the traditional gold helmets. You would have thought that a guy that's got box seats for the Yankees would have been at that football game, considering it's Syracuse sort of local team in New York, upstate New York, against a nationally ranked team that's going to the final, uh, to the playoff, barring a miracle by USC. You'd think he would go to the game and would know all about this uniform. But no, no, he didn't know about the pinstriping until he looked up a picture 
of the Notre Dame uniforms in the paper on Sunday morning. Take a listen. Here's the one problem I have with Notre Dame, the uniforms. Hey, you're Notre Dame. You don't have to have 52 uniforms. Be Notre Dame. You're Notre Dame. Act like it. I mean, come on. And ditch the helmets. Give me the gold helmets. I, you know what? I like the gold helmets. I don't want to see these new helmets. I don't want to see them again. I don't want to see these crummy uniforms again. They are awful. Why does Notre Dame think they have to? You know, well, it's the same thing as always. So all these teams, they sell all these different jerseys. Notre Dame, there's only one thing they like more than winning, money. So that's why they got a different jersey on every week. Some of them are God ugly. That was an ugly uniform yesterday for Notre Dame. And I didn't like the helmet at all. Did you see the helmet? I didn't like the helmet. Where's the gold helmet? Man, that was a was that was that a bum was that a bum uniform or what? That was an ugly uniform. But the helmet was the worst part. Did anybody take a picture of that? Was there a picture of that in the paper? I don't know if there was. He's I don't know if they had a picture of Notre Dame in there, did they? Thumbing through the paper. Oh, there they are. Oh, so they decided to wear pinstripes? That was the idea yesterday? I didn't even yes! realize that until I looked at it now. Was that the premise that they were wearing pinstripes yesterday? Yes, that you was moron. It? Oh. <laughs> I didn't see the game yesterday. So I didn't realize that was the premise now when I see the pinstripes top and bottom. So now the premise was they were wearing pinstripes. I was, I was taxi man all day yesterday, folks. Uh, my kids spent five and a half hours getting to my Hall of Fame dinner the other night. So yesterday, I spent all day taxing them everywhere, here and there, all day. So I was somewhere at 9, I was somewhere at 12, nine. I was somewhere at 2.30, somewhere at 4, and somewhere at 5.30. So I spent the day basically, you know, just being uh, the taxi man, driving everyone here, there, and everywhere. You know, look, that's fine. He's a great father. He's in the Hall of Fame. Had a big Hall of Fame dinner on Friday night. How clueless do you have to be, though, that they had the pinstripes were specifically because they're playing at Yankee Stadium? Now, you could be against the pinstripes saying, I don't like the crossover, you know, that the pinstripes are sacred because they belong to the Yankees. But, Jesus, I think this is the second year they've done it as well. Me personally, I kind of like the uh, the alts for the Irish at the Yankee Stadium game. But that's just me. I'll end with this and then a quick thought on Tiger versus Phil the day after Thanksgiving. A Harvard running back pulled a boneheaded play on his way to the end zone in the infamous Harvard versus Yale game, which, as you know, is a huge rivalry. Harvard went on to win the game, but running back Devin Darrington was briefly the GOAT after he was on his way into the end zone for a walk-in touchdown in the fourth quarter to put the Crimson up by seven when he raised a finger in the direction of the nearest Yale defender. Initially, the Internet swooped in and said, He gave the middle finger! That savage bum! How can he do that? A Harvard man using the middle finger as a taunt on the way to the end zone. The referee called taunting and nullified the penalty or nullified the touchdown and put the ball back at the 18-yard line. The Crimson had to settle for a field goal. They did end up winning the game, so I guess it didn't hurt in that regard. But more evidence came in during the course of the day on Sunday as this thing kind of went viral Sunday morning. And more photographs came out that show that actually uh, Darrington didn't raise his middle finger, but he raised his index finger. That said, it was still taunting, at least in a small degree, and a silly, needless play. Was it as bad as the middle finger? No. 
But it's just stupid and unnecessary, that's all. And this is why college football put in this rule in which if you taunt a guy on the way into the end zone, it's a penalty that nullifies the touchdown. Once upon a time, it it would not nullify the touchdown. This is a relatively new rule. And you might say, oh, it's just a little finger. Come on. A little pointing of the finger. Guys play hard. It's a tough game. Now, you put it in there, and I like the rule, because today it's a middle finger. Tomorrow it's a crotch grab. The day after that, the guy takes off his helmet and holds it aloft as he runs into the end zone for the final 10 yards. Give kids an inch, they'll take a mile. And besides, sportsmanship is sportsmanship. You shouldn't be looking and waving and wagging middle fingers. You should be, ready, playing football and leave it at that. But the jump to conclusions and the -the over-the-top vilification of Devin Darrington was a bit much on Sunday morning. Stupid play, deserved to get a penalty. For those saying, kick him off the team, he should have been benched, eh, I don't know. Pretty sure he's one of their best players, and it was, after all, Yale. A rivalry that, according to one post I read on Sunday, that in like 1906 they threatened to cancel the series because the the rivalry had gotten so violent on the field. Yeah, yes, Yale and Harvard, one of the old-timers. Real quick, on my way out the door today, Tiger versus Phil, Friday the day after Thanksgiving. 18 holes, winner takes home $7 million and change. I think it was supposed to be 10. Uh, I think I saw a figure of 7 million, whatever. Winner take all, loser gets a free shirt and a bowl of soup or whatever. Match play, 18 holes. Pay-per-view, 20 bucks. Available wherever your pay-per-views are delivered, including streaming online. Well, Zabe, to channel my inner judge smells. Well, are you going to get it? I do not want to give these assholes, both of them, Tiger and Phil, greedy asshole players. What are you talking about, man? They're two greatest players of their generation. Yeah, they're being greedy now. What do you mean, assholes? Eh, okay. But Phil, I've got no use for. Tiger, I'm actually sort of coming around on just a bit, although he stunk in the Ryder Cup. So did Phil stink. They both stunk. Bottom line is, I don't want to give them my 20 bucks. Oh, come on, man. It's only 20 bucks. I don't want to give it to him, not to see him play. I'm sure I'll get bootleg clips, stuff on Twitter. I do have money on Tiger, oh, by the way. I think I put 40 or 50 bucks in, on Vegas down on him. But I'm not paying. I'm not. I'd like to see the golf course because I was lucky enough. Well, lucky enough. I paid the $500 to play Shadow Creek. And by the way, it was worth it. Absolutely spectacular fantasy land of a golf course in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a flat parcel in the Vegas desert. It is spectacular. The course wasn't even in that great a shape when we played it back in March last year because it's coming out of the dormant winter, so some of the grasses were a little bit blonde still. It's going to be perfect when they play it. And it's such a great golf course. It's so perfect. All right, maybe I'll buy it for the just to see the golf course. Will you let me do that? Will you permit me to at least buy the pay-per-view? Not to give Phil and Tiger my 20 bucks to split up and to play for, 
but because I want to see the full golf course on television with drone shots and everything else. All right, think about it. Get back to me. I've got until Friday. Unfortunately, it's at 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon. I'll be on the air 4 o'clock to about 5.30. We've got a short show on Friday in D.C., hopefully recapping the Redskins' win against the Cowboys to basically clinch the division. But, yeah, I'm probably going to buy it and hit record on my DVR, and I'll watch it at my leisure. I'll snack on it like leftover turkey. Yeah, leftover turkey. It's Thanksgiving week. God, I love this time of year. That'll do it for today. Thanks for listening. Download, subscribe, get the ZabeCast app. It's absolutely free. It collects all of this content in one neatly, one neat little square that sits on your phone. Comment and like. Tell three friends. And remember, podcasts are the future. It's like Netflix for your ears. Listen to the episodes whenever you want. Fast forward if you like. Don't listen if you don't want to. Email me with topics and suggestions. Zabe at yahoo.com is my email. Now, go get ready for Super Bowl 52 and a half, the Rams and the Chiefs, and we will see you next time.